Hi, I'm Faith. I'm a third year history student and I'm part of the Melbourne University Christian Union. Today I'll be reading from God's Word from 2 Timothy chapter 3. But before we do that, please join me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time that we can spend together in our home groups or our campus groups. And I thank you that we can learn more um, by listening to Murray. And I pray that you'll open our eyes, our ears and our hearts uh, to you. And please help us to focus on you as we hear from your word. And I thank you for your faithfulness and for all of your blessings. And I pray this in your son Jesus' holy name. Amen. Please join me as we read from 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'll give you a few seconds just to turn to that in your Bibles. 2 Timothy chapter 3. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Jans and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learnt and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Well, thanks so much, uh, Faith, for reading God's word to us. And hi, everyone. Uh, good to be with you again. 
We're continuing in 2 Timothy and thinking about taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. In chapter 1, we thought about going with courage. In chapter 2, we thought about going with godliness. And now in chapter 3, I want to focus in on part of this chapter and think particularly about going with the Bible. Let's step back, though, and think about life, our world, where we're at. I don't know how many times this year you have been dismayed at just how bad everything seems to be. Of course, the pandemic has been really bad. And daily we hang off COVID numbers that got up into the 2000s. We've weathered lockdowns that have worn us out. We've learned the names of all the premiers and been amazed at how much power they actually have. Uh, there's been enormous stress on people and the mental health system has been overloaded. You know, the pandemic alone would be enough, but that has not been it all. Uh, we're told our planet is heating up at a dangerous rate. At COP26, Boris Johnson was one of the many who had dire warnings. He said, humanity has long since run down the clock on climate change. It's one minute to midnight on that doomsday clock and we need to act now. And then we fear the rising aggression of China and some of the responses to that. Australian soldiers committed atrocities in Afghanistan. The Taliban took over in Afghanistan and men and women and children fleed, fearing for their lives, and some, of course, didn't make it out. We hung on every move as a four-year-old girl was taken captive. And we've had all sorts of concerns in Victoria about government legislation. It just goes on and on, doesn't it? What, what's wrong with our world? Well, that's actually where 2 Timothy chapter 3 begins. Look at what Paul says there in verse 1. He says, understand this, in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Amen. How true. The last days are all the days between Jesus' first and second coming. These are the last days. There's many of them, and we are living in the last days. And Paul says they will be difficult times. What's difficult about the last days? <laughs> well, actually, one of the main things that is difficult about the last days is people. Look at what he says. In the last days, there'll be times of difficulty for people. Now, of course, there are natural disasters and there are pandemics, but one of the most fundamental problems that we constantly face are what people are like. And if you look at the list that follows, it, it, it talks about loves as much as anything. It starts off by saying people are lovers of self and lovers of money. But it's actually a pretty sharp description of our own culture even though it's 2,000 years later. 
And then the list goes on to a bunch of other things that sound unbelievably contemporary. Uh, people to be proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless. So it goes on. And then the list ends again with people's loves. Uh, it says they will not be lovers of good. They'll be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That's actually the root problem in these last days. We love the wrong things. We love some things far too much, and we love some things not enough. I have that all the time. I love sugar and carbs more than fruit and veggies, and so I repeatedly have food regrets. I love sleeping in more than getting up to spend time with God, even though I know that that is, for me, the absolute best way to start the day. I love being right more than being kind. And so sometimes I give my wife the silent treatment to make a point. My heart loves are disordered, distempered. And what's most disturbing about this list that Paul has here is that it finishes by, by making clear he's not just talking about people out there. This is not about pagans and atheists. He's, he's actually talking about people who could be in the church. He says there in verse 5, they have the appearance of godliness but they deny its power. This is people who might look very spiritual, look very committed, look very involved at CU or at their local church. And yet their hearts are as far from God as an atheist's. Well, in contrast, Paul puts a different model in front of Timothy. Uh, verse 10, you, however, he's going to map a contrast way of life. Verse 14, he says, but as for you, he's going to put a different pattern in front of Timothy. One modelled by Paul himself, verses 10 to 12. One that he learned from his mother and from his gran, verse 14, and particularly a way of life that he has learnt from the Bible. And that's the bit I want to focus in on in verses 14 to 17. What we're going to do in this session is have a look at why the Bible is such a big deal in Christian life and Christian ministry. We're going to see why it's just so helpful to read the Bible for yourself personally. We're going to see why all ministry needs to have the Bible right at the centre. And we're also going to see that when we go to the ends of the earth with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the thing we should go with above all else is the Bible. There are three reasons in these few verses as to why the Bible is such a big deal. 
I'm going to work my way through these three, but I'll just give you a warning right up. I'm going to spend most of my time on the first one. So don't panic when I finish the first one. We'll get through the second two a bit more quickly. The first reason that I want to dwell on is this. Through the Bible, God leads us to salvation. Through the Bible, God leads us to salvation. Timothy, uh, he says in verse 14, is to continue in what he's learned and firmly believed. He's known it from infancy because the Bible, the scriptures, the sacred writings have been taught to him. And then he, uh, Paul says in verse 15, the sacred writings, the Bible, is able to make us wise for salvation through Jesus Christ. Wise for salvation. Now, salvation is a big word. Uh, Salvation speaks of God's great plan mapped throughout the Bible story, God's plan to restore and redeem and renew, to rescue, to save is what salvation is. And his plan is not just to fix up me and you, but to fix up the brokenness of the world that we've been struggling with this year. Now, the one place where we find out what that plan of salvation is, is the Bible. And the Bible wises us up to what it's all about. It makes us wise to salvation. I think the Bible wises us up, well, to all sorts of things, but two in particular that I want to focus on. Actually, John Calvin, at the beginning of of the, uh, perhaps the most famous theological work of all time, the Institutes of the Christian Religion, he begins with this sentence. He says, Nearly all the wisdom we possess, that is to say, true and sound wisdom, consists of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. He's saying that's true wisdom, to know God and to know yourself. And the Bible wises us up to both those things. I'm going to start with the second one. The Bible gives us wisdom about ourselves, who we really are. And I'm afraid the reality is this. It wises us up to how much we've screwed up. Now, we don't like to think of it in those terms. In fact, we're told constantly, you can be whatever you like. Be yourself. Be true to your dreams. Be true to your own heart. That's the narrative of pretty well every Disney movie, isn't it? Cinderella, Elsa, Tangled, Aladdin, Moana, Merlin. That's basically all the same. Great stories, but that's the philosophy right at the heart of them. Mufasa, uh, Mufasa says to Simba, Look inside yourself, Simba. You are more than you have become. That's that's what we're told. Look inside yourself. That's that's where the answers are. You're you're more than you think. Uh, Merlin in 1994, and that that edition puts it so succinctly, there's a lovely song to go with it, you must be true to your heart. But you know, the Bible never says that because it diagnoses a heart problem. 
the Bible will tell us the problems aren't just out there in the world. The problems are in here, in my heart and in your heart. I mean, think about the massive world problems of poverty, domestic violence, institutional corruption, environmental mismanagement. Those are not just problems out there with governments and institutions and bureaucracies. Actually, governments, institutions, bureaucracies are run by people. And a lot of the problems in those things are reflected in our own hearts. We arc up against government inaction about climate change, but we still chuck away our disposable coffee mug or our mask and contribute to the problem. We hate the greed of the big banks, but we still want our nice houses and our big TVs and our computers when most of the world lives in poverty. We despise domestic abuse, but we watch adultery for entertainment. We watch women being sexually objectified while we sit on the couch eating chips. The Bible won't let us off the hook. It holds a mirror up and it says, take a look at yourself. Take a look at your own heart and what you're really like. To be honest, when I take a look at myself, I don't like what I see. I'm actually pretty good at masking it. And we're all good at masks these days, aren't we? I'm pretty good at masking it, but that's, that's actually part of the problem. Uh, I, I struggle with hypocrisy, with wanting to look better than I am. I struggle with insecurity. And so because of that, there's a temptation to constantly seek compliments and seek approval and be a people pleaser. I struggle with greed. Look, I'm not seven years old. In fact, okay, to be honest, I'm 57 years old. But I can still manipulate the plate of cake in order to end up with the biggest piece. <laughs> it's pathetic, isn't it? But they're indicators of what is in my heart. Do I really want to believe in myself? and look inside for world answers? Do you? Do you really want to believe in yourself? And none of the things I've mentioned are the worst sins. The worst sin is not pride or hypocrisy or greed or selfishness or lust. And it might be that none of those are particularly your issue. You might be a perfect angel for all I know. I, I don't know you personally. But the worst sin is this. We have not given 
to God our foremost love and our complete allegiance. He is our creator. He made us to know him and to love him. He wants us to delight in him and be satisfied in him. We're meant to be lovers of God, not lovers of self and lovers of money and lovers of pleasure. The greatest command of the Bible is to love God with all your heart. And so therefore the greatest sin is not to. All other sin flows from that. Even if you're incredibly nice, if you ignore God, then you fail at the deepest level of the way God designed you. That's why the Bible says, we've all sinned, all of us. We've all broken God's law. We all deserve his judgment. We will all be condemned to hell if we're not saved by God's mercy. And that's what the Bible wises us up to, our urgent need of salvation. But as it wises us up to that, it also wises us up to who God is and what he is like. The plan of salvation laid out in the Bible is absolutely magnificent. It begins with God. First words of the Bible, in the beginning, God. It begins with a holy God, a loving God, a kind God, a powerfully creative God who made us and made this world, a God who loves us. And a God who is deeply grieved by sin and injustice and oppression and, and all, the, all the stuff in our lives which isn't right and all the stuff in our world. God is, is grieved over that. But instead of destroying us and, and walking away from planet Earth, maybe traipsing off somewhere else and have a shot at another planet, instead of that, God himself, sent his very own son, eternal God, Jesus Christ, to become one of us. God became a human being, took on full humanity and lived as we should. He lived the most beautiful life that has ever been lived, a life of love and grace and peace and, and patience and kindness and generosity and purity. He lived that life for us on our behalf, as our substitute. And then full of love and grace, he went even further and he laid down his life for us as well. He chose to take personal responsibility for all our mess. I don't know about you, I don't like taking responsibility for other people's mess. If they stuff up, I don't like to have to cover for them or wear it. And that's even down to little things. Look, you, you, you get home and the kitchen is just a disaster zone. It's just, it's filthy and feral. Your housemates have been at it and they've just left the place in disaster. And you have to clean it up. That sucks, doesn't it? 
Well, we have left not just the kitchen in a mess. Our hearts are in a mess. This world is in a mess. And Jesus came to clean it up. He wears it for us. And so in his death, he carried our sin and our shame and our guilt. And then he took the judgment for us. He took God's punishment for our sin on himself. And he did that so that we could be acquitted, so that God could forgive us and we could come into relationship with the God who made us in the first place. You see, the Bible is not about abstract truth. The Bible's about, at the end of the day, it's about a person, Jesus Christ, the Son of God made flesh. The gospel's not a scheme or a strategy. The gospel is a person. The good news is Jesus, who loved us and gave his life for us. We've looked at these two great theme tunes of the Bible, our terrible sin that we too easily minimize and God's astounding love that we too easily underrate. As Tim Keller puts it, we are more sinful and flawed than we ever dared believe. But we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. In cancel culture, if you stuff up, <laughs> you can be cancelled. And whilst our culture is so tolerant in many, many things, if you break societal norms, there is no forgiveness. But with God, there is forgiveness. God forgives your sin. God blots out the record. A psalm says he removes our sin as far as the east is from the west, an infinite distance. God declares you to be righteous, as righteous as his son Jesus. God saves you. And the one place where we find out about all that is the Bible. The Bible makes us wise for salvation. It, it gives us wisdom about ourselves and our hearts and what we're really like. It holds up the mirror. It shows us inside ourselves and shows us our desperate need for help. And the Bible makes us wise to who God is and it shows us his love and his grace and what he's done through his son Jesus to save us. The only place to really get to know what you're like is the Bible. The only place to really get to know what God is like is the Bible. The only place to meet Jesus is the Bible. That's why it's a big deal. Through the Bible, God shows us how to be saved.
Well, once we've been saved, the Bible then does the second thing. We go on to this. Through the Bible, God grows us to maturity. Through the Bible, God grows us to maturity. We come now to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And it's actually one of the Bible's most famous verses about the Bible. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And it's from this verse that Christians get the doctrine of the inspiration of scripture. When we say that the Bible is inspired, we don't mean that God gave people some inspiring thoughts. It, you know, you can get inspiring thoughts all over the place. You can get them on calendars and even on coffee cups. The Bible isn't inspiring thoughts. The doctrine of inspiration means that God has breathed into the Bible. Spiration is breathing. Inspired is breathing to the Bible. Actually, more literally, it's expired. So that's why it says here, all scripture is God breathed. It's breathed out by God. And so as the human authors of the Bible were writing, they wrote histories and philosophies and songs, um, stories. As they, as they wrote, God was breathing out through their words, his word. And that means the Bible has this unique dual authorship. When we read the Bible, we're reading the words of Moses or Paul or Peter or Mark, and they each have their own distinct style, their own uh, historical context. They write in these different literary genres, and we must study it as we would another ancient text. I'm studying carefully for clues of context and meaning and authorial intent. But as we read their words, we are also reading God's word because he has breathed out his words through what they are writing. And actually, he continues to breathe out his word as we read it today. And that means this book is, is uniquely valuable. The way that verse 16 puts it is it's profitable, immensely useful for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. And that's true of the whole Bible. Old Testament and New Testament, any part of Scripture, it's breathed out by God to be useful, uh, profitable in your life. And if you want to grow spiritually, if you want to grow in personal maturity, if you want to grow in love and grace and wisdom, then listen to God's word because it's designed to do that in your life. His words help us grow. Have a think for a moment about immaturity. Think about what little kids are like. Uh, the little kids I know and spend time with tend to want lots and lots of attention. You know, the classic phrase at the park is, watch me, mummy. And then little kids grow up, and there are a lot of adults who are absolutely no different. Lots of adults who really just want lots of attention. Social media is one wonderful place, a wonderful place to say, watch me, everyone. Another thing about kids is they tend to love 
playing endless games and having lots of toys and needing people to entertain them endlessly. And those kids grow up and it seems to me there are a lot of adults who are pretty much the same. Uh, they have endless toys, they play endless games and they want endless entertainment. Another thing about kids is they tend to lose the plot very easily. They get angry, they sulk, and then they grow up and there are plenty of adults who are exactly the same. A lot of us are probably over our politicians because they seem to behave so childishly. So what do kids need? Well, sometimes they just need teaching. Sometimes they need reproof. Sometimes they need correction. Sometimes they need training. And what do big kids like us need? If we're going to grow up, if we're going to grow in spiritual maturity, we need God's word because it's proper rule for teaching, reproving, correcting, and training in righteousness. You and I need the Bible. It's God's tool to grow us and change us and transform us. There are so many voices, aren't there? So many voices in our ears. We, we hear endless noise from social media and friends and lecturers and conspiracy theorists and activists. There, there are all these voices in our ears. And we need to take time out from all that other noise and listen to the voice of God and let him speak into our lives. And if you spend a lifetime in God's word, with it shaping you and molding you and forming you, you'll actually become a beautiful old person. Now, it might seem a long way away, but it's worth thinking about. If you don't die young, you're going to get old. So there are not many other options. What kind of old person do you want to be? Grumpy? Bitter? Harsh? Cynical? Well, I think just spend the rest of your life living for yourself and you can lock that in. Alternatively, you could spend the next 50 years letting God's word teach, reprove, correct, and train you in righteousness. And God, through his word, will make you more and more like himself. I actually love it when I meet a, a godly old person, shaped over the decades by God and his word. They've been taught and Proved and corrected and trained. And now in their old age, they're people full of hope. They're lovely. They're, they're loving. They're gentle. They're kind. Even though they're perhaps on the cusp of death, they have peace and joy. That's what God's word is for. Through the Bible, God shows us how to be saved. And through the Bible, God grows us to maturity. 
And then there's one more thing that the Bible does. Through the Bible, God equips us for ministry. Through the Bible, God equips us for ministry. What's the fruit of being saved and then trained by God's word? Verse 17, the last verse of the chapter says it, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The man of God here is Timothy. And, and uh, it's representative of, of all those who are pastors and leaders and gospel workers. Scripture is profitable to equip and, and finish us, complete us for gospel ministry. That's what the Bible does. As the Bible feeds us, we can feed others. As the Bible trains us, we train others. As the Bible corrects and rebukes us, well, we know how to challenge and correct other people. The Bible, this book, is the best resource for all ministry. I heard Peter Adam a few years ago put this beautifully, and so I want to steal his idea. He said he wished that he worked in a Christian bookshop, and he pictured this scenario. He said, well, first of all, an older lady comes in, and she wants to buy an evangelistic book for her 92-year-old mother, who's not a believer. Well, Peter's there in the bookshop, and uh, you know, she asks, what, what would be a good evangelistic book to get her? And he says, well, you, you, I've got just the book for your mother. Why don't you get her a Bible? Uh, it, it's a bestseller, authored by God, great reputation, able to make you wise for salvation. I think it's just the book she needs. And then he says next, a uh, uh, yeah, pastor comes in and he's frowning, looking worn down, so you know straight away he's a pastor. And uh, he's looking for a training manual for the leaders in his church. He's been to a conference where he's told that he ought to be training his leaders for about 60 hours a week, and so he's desperate for a new training resource. Oh, Peter looks around and says, yeah, we've got various training resources, but I, I think I know the one you need. He said, why don't you get a Bible? I mean, it's profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training and righteousness. Actually, it thoroughly equips people for gospel ministry. Why don't, why don't you use the Bible to train? That's a good idea. Oh, you could imagine another one comes in. A, a youth pastor comes in. He's got a long ponytail, rings in his nose, tattoos, so you know immediately that he's an excellent youth pastor. And he says, uh, look, I'm looking for some resources for my youth group. I need something that, you know, just really get them on fire and rev them up and something that's, that's really interesting. Uh, what, what would you recommend? Well, Peter looks around at these various resources. Oh, I, I think I know just the thing your youth group needs. Why don't you get a Bible? It's a... Um, Wonderful for young people. It's got lots of punchy sayings, great stories, even got 150 songs right in the middle of it. The Bible is our premier tool for all gospel ministry. This book is your most powerful resource. It thoroughly equips you for every good work of ministry. Are you leading a small group? Are you training someone else, meeting one-to-one -one with someone, trying to encourage your boyfriend or your girlfriend?
training an apprentice, maybe preparing to preach one of your first sermons, maybe thinking about going on cross-cultural mission. The Bible is what will equip you for all ministry. Whether you're going around the corner or going to the ends of the earth, Go with the Bible. Well, look, the, the Bible's a big deal, isn't it? And we've seen why. Through the Bible, God shows us how to be saved. Through the Bible, God grows us to maturity. Through the Bible, God equips us for ministry. And in the Bible, God is speaking, and he's speaking to you. Sometimes we're deaf. We don't hear his words. Sometimes we don't want to listen. Sometimes we're just so distracted, we don't hear what he says. Sometimes the other voices in our ears are so loud, we don't hear God's voice. But sometimes God breaks through all that. And in the Bible, we hear God speaking to us. And he opens our eyes and he opens our heart and we really hear the word of God. I hope and I've been praying that that's what you will experience right now. That you today hear God's voice. And maybe today you've seen that perhaps for the first time you need to really listen to God. Maybe today God has started to wise you up to who you are really like. And that looking for answers in yourself is not a smart idea. Maybe God has started to wise you up to who he is and how good and kind he is and how wonderful it is to experience forgiveness and then to be equipped and changed and grown by his word. If you're hearing God speak right now, and even if you're hearing God speak perhaps for the first time, the Bible tells us how to respond. Two words it uses, repent and believe. To repent is to turn, is to change direction. It's like you're driving to Sydney and you realise that's a stupid thing. Like, why would anyone want to go to Sydney? And you turn around and you come back to Melbourne. When you turn, you repent. And to repent before God, you, you talk to him, you confess to him. I've been going the wrong way. I've been loving the wrong things. I've been making the wrong choices. Lay those wrong choices before him. Tell God that you want to turn around and go a different way. And so that's why the Bible always says repent and believe. When we turn around, what we turn to is Jesus. To believe in Jesus is just to trust him to trust that he loves us, to trust that he came and he died 
in our place, to clean up our mess, is to trust that he rose again and that his new life can give us new life. To believe in Jesus is to trust that God will forgive you because of who Jesus is. And then once you've done that, you let the Bible be your guide. I think a, a few weeks ago, I, along with millions of other Australians, were just so happy when little Cleo was found. Remember that? Uh, what, a, what a wonderful rescue. What a miracle. She was okay. And what a beautiful picture of what it is for us to be saved. Rescued, not by the WA police, but rescued by God. Rescued not from a house, but from a life of turning away from God. Rescued from wrong loves and from eternal judgment. And freed to love God and come into his family and enjoy him. I'm going to pray now. And if you want to become a Christian today, you can. And I invite you to take the words that I'm going to pray and make them your own. And fill in the blanks and personalize this. Because today you can turn to God and find a new life in him and begin to live with the Bible as your guide. Will you join me in prayer? Oh God, our hearts have been wrong. My heart has been wrong. I've so often loved the wrong things, so often listened to the wrong voices. I've looked for answers in all the wrong places. Oh God, I want to change. I want to come back to you, my creator, the one I should love, the one I should know and trust. Lord God, thank you so much for sending Jesus, your son, to be the saviour of the world. Please save me. Save me from my sin. Please forgive me. And please help me to start a new life. A life of trusting you. A life of listening to your voice, a life of letting your word show me the way to go. Oh God, please hear these prayers and start a new work in my life today for Jesus' sake. Amen.
want to give you just a few more minutes because I would like you to make those words your own. And so let's just, let's just be still for a few more minutes and pray to God. You might have been a believer for a long time already or today might be the first day. But will you turn your own heart to God, confess sin, seek his mercy and pray that God would work deeply in your life through his word. Let's continue just quietly before God in prayer.